Like a deer in the headlights or gum in your hair, what got you here will not get you there. Join us as business owners get unstuck in real time on the business building struggles we all share. Welcome to the Business Breakthrough Podcast. And here's your host, Esty Rand. Welcome to episode 82 of the Business Breakthrough Podcast. My guest today is Carl Stedman. Carl, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on, Esty. Well, I am very excited because this show is going to be super positive and inspiring. Guys, Carl, see, Carl's laughing because he knows why I said that, but you don't know yet. So Carl's the founder of PSTV, author of the soon-to-be-released Broken Open, and host of the Unsubstantiated Genius Podcast. He's been through an extraordinary journey, which I'm really excited to explore while you get to listen, and everything from breaking his back in college basketball to creating startups and losing it all. So on PSTV, they host content that leaves your audience feeling positive and inspired. Get it? Now you know why I said it. So... <laughs> Carl, <laughs> let's just dive straight in. Okay, so you broke your back, you had a bunch of startups, you lost it all. What's what's the story, right? Because that's such a brief sketch that really doesn't say anything at all while saying that there's so much unsaid. Okay. Um that's an interesting question. So I guess my overarching theme of my life thus far is overcoming uh, long odds, if you will. Um, I was originally born in Alaska. That's already really, why is that not in the bio? <laughs> um, born in Alaska, like that yeah. would make, okay, you're born yeah. in Alaska. Yeah. So I spent 18 years up there. Um, I moved down to the lower 48 to play college basketball. Like I didn't care about school, but I love to learn. Oh, but that's already fascinating. You just <laughs> called it the lower 48. I've never even heard that lingo. Yeah, it's everything it's... south of Canada, basically. But one second, there are 50 states. So there's Alaska, Hawaii, and then the lower 48. Is that yeah, it? Exactly. That is such a, I've never heard that. That is such a cool <laughs> phrase. <laughs> I want to spend this whole episode talking about Alaska, but that would probably not be productive. Can you give me like, just, I, I want to pause this. I've never been to Alaska and I've never met anyone who lived there as like a real life person. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. Ask away. Why Alaska? Why Alaska? Um, because my parents lived there. I'm a third yeah, generation. I guess that. <laughs> third generation. Yeah. Third generation American. My, most of my family's from Norway. So okay. fishermen communities, and I guess when they settled, Alaska, Southeast Alaska specifically, um, reminded them of home. So there's a large Norwegian population up there. And my parents met at University of Oregon, and my dad brought my mom back up there. So, yeah. Fascinating. And is there, I'm going to be like a super ignorant coastal city person for a minute, because <laughs> I've lived in New York, I've lived in Los Angeles, I've lived abroad, but I've really never left like the coastal big American cities. Does Alaska have like a lot of people in it? No. It doesn't. Okay. There's, there's, I think 700,000 in the entire state, which is oh, wow. a third of the size of the lower 48. So think about wow. that. Like, wow. You, you, the, the yeah, state I've heard that Alaska is like a third of the size of the entire U.S. It's three yeah. Californias. That's what yeah. someone once like compared it to. Uh, on the map, they make it tiny because they can't fit yeah. it anywhere, right? Yeah, exactly. But, okay. Are there real igloos? 
Yes, but not where I lived. I lived in the southern part, so there's a lot more, um, lot more rain. And okay. we actually, I lived on a island in the middle of nowhere with 8,000 people. You had to boat or fly in. So there was oh my only gosh. eight miles. So how did you get miles. food? Did you just like uh, fish for your food and eat well, grass? I mean, like- yes, that does exist. <laughs> that does exist. Yes. But no, we have, I mean, we have, we take 737 jets in and we have shipping containers, all that stuff. So it all gets shipped in, which is why Alaska's um, cost of living so high. Right. Because everything's got to be shipped in. You probably can't produce very much of what you need. Yeah, exactly. I'm it. Okay. And are real igloos made of real ice blocks? Uh, it's more packed snow. So you pack snow and, so it's just and then you snow cut it. and then you walk inside and like you when you look up if you touch the walls they're made of snow. Well, kinda. So you 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 have a lot of snow, right? And okay. it gets packed, it gets dense. You cut out the blocks and then you start positioning them into a uh, like a dome. Yeah, exactly. And it supports its own weight. So it's actually really warm in those because it reflects your heat. So it's it's very interesting. But yes, I have made an igloo. It wasn't very pretty, but yes, I have done it. That is so cool. Okay, I'm going to swallow my billion other questions because I have a feeling there's going to be more things I'm going to want to ask you about. So 18 years in Alaska, you went yes. to go to university in the lower 48, which is mm-hmm. going to be my new term. I live in the lower 48. <laughs> yeah. Um, where, and then what happened? Well, um, I was in school. I tried, uh, I went to two years in JC, Northern California for basketball. Uh, I transferred to Seattle Pacific and tried to walk on there when they ended up being number four in the nation. And I got cut, which prompted me to move to another school, redshirt for a year. And that's where my life really got crazy. Um, So the following year after my redshirt year, I made the team and I ended up getting bilateral spondylolysis, which is two stress fractures on one vertebrae. So I went from being able to bench press reps at 220 or 210 to not being able to lift the bar. It got so bad where I couldn't walk from my car door to my front door. And at that point, I realized that I had to figure something out or I'd probably become crippled. Wow. And were you, you were on basketball scholarship, it sounded like. That's how you yeah. got out to the universities. Yeah. I'm actually curious. I'm going to backtrack for a second. Do a lot of people get out of Alaska? I don't know. Because um, yes I've never no. met, again, it's fair enough that, you know, there aren't such high odds because there's only 700,000 people in the entire place. But it sounds like you overcame your first odd just by getting out of there. Yeah, that I, I guess I never thought about it that way. But yes, um, my parents were really good at pushing that my brother and I had the ability to go out and do anything we wanted. And school always came really easily, like the grades and everything. So to me, it was just, okay, I'm going to college. Like it was just a part of the modality within my family. So, but yes, there is a lot of people that don't actually ever get out of, out of the hometown. But, but again, that's, that's a lot like almost any state, like rural states, if you will. Right. Because we don't know it only, we can only really do what enters into our realm of experience. Right. And that's, I think why the world is so explosive today where everything's in everyone's realm of experience with social media and Mm -hmm. and the, the global connections. But definitely historically, right? And you're not five years old or even 15, because I can see you even though everyone else can't. Um, you know, going back to when people like you and I were young, you really just saw what was in your immediate circles and maybe yep. what was on television and that's it. Yep. Yep. And so it doesn't really enter your experience. So, okay, that, that's cool. That gives me perspective. So two stress factors, which means you're, you're going to lose your scholarship if you can't play. Um, I'd spent six months getting PT and basically sat out another entire year. So that's a year and a half where I didn't play basketball 
pretty much. Wow. Um, and I got a scholarship my senior year, a partial, and I finished out my basketball career, but that drastically altered my life's path. I thought yeah. I was going to go play overseas. Like I had the ability to, um, I just, life kind of intervened twice. So at that point I moved to Eugene, Oregon and it was 2008. So right in the midst of Ooh. the major recession, right? Yeah. So there I was, I was broke, unemployed, um, no really contacts in Eugene, Oregon. My brother was there and I was living in this dingy apartment that had mold and I had a few furniture, some kitchen utensils, all that stuff. And I ended up talking a random guy at Starbucks into investing $100,000 with me in the stock market. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And that's where my business really started to go down that path. But I ended up tripling his money in seven months. And then it, it came back a little bit. And eight months after that, he gets diagnosed with late stage lung cancer and passes away within two weeks of that diagnosis, which killed the business the first time. Okay, hold on. There's there's a big story <laughs> under that story. Like I get that that's how you say the story. Now I'm going to pick it apart. Um, it. What did you major in in university? Uh, business administration, but I didn't actually apply myself in college at all. Um, I read. I read a book every other day on average and have been for decades. Nice. And Okay, I'm gonna pick your brain for book recommendations in a few minutes. Okay. <laughs> Definitely. I have like a whole library behind me and that's yeah, like just a fraction. Yeah, that's a fraction of what I have going on. That's awesome. Um I'm a I'm a big book bi bibliophile, as, yes, as they me call too. it. Me too. Um Okay, so you read a lot. So you graduate university in a super depressed market and you're like, hey, if I had cash, now's when I'd invest it, but I mm -hmm. don't. Let me meet a random guy and see if I can convince him to invest and I get a cut. Um, kinda. I didn't have any plans of doing it. Like I, I was sitting in a chair next to two other ones in this higher end Starbucks and I was reading, I don't even remember what book I was reading. It was very thick, like inches. And it was all, yeah, it was all about investing. And the guy and his friend were talking about how they were losing money every single day and they were just complaining about it. And I actually got annoyed with the conversation. I was like, look, you don't have to lose money. This is how. So that night, I, well, I ended up talking to him for about an hour and a half. That night I went home, I wrote a five page business plan. I brought it back to him the next day knowing that he'd be there. And I said, here, take a look at this. He brought it home to his wife. And a couple of days later, uh, I had a check for $50,000. Another four or three weeks after that, I had another check for 50,000, so. Wow, and what was your deal with him? You were getting a cut for management or you were gonna get a percentage of win? It was all, well, actually there was 1% of assets under management and then I believe 20% of profits. So how did you even know to cut that deal? Like, how did you even know to say, okay, I want 1% of assets under management from well, the books you were reading? So yes and no. Um, I didn't, okay, I don't like the way the financial industry is actually structured. So my first fund, this was my first fund, was the one in 20. My next fund was structured a lot differently. Um, where the investors took the first 4% and then we took 25% uh, of anything above that 4%. So it was all productivity-based, if you will. I was aligned with my clients as much as possible. So like that was that. that was one of the learning lessons I had with uh, with the very first fund. I didn't like the fact that regardless of 
the direction of my client's investments, I was making money. Like that just doesn't sit well with me because as an, as an investor or a financial advisor, um, I'm not that doing That puts my job. your goals at odds yes. with their goals. Bingo. I, I really had it. So I, I like to break it down always for the audience because not always does everyone understand all the business terminology. <laughs> so for everybody listening, um, when people do financial management, so let's say, right, Carl's managing $100,000, the fee for Carl investing that is what we call 1% of assets under management. So he's going to be pulling in 1% of the 100K every, what is it? It's a monthly or it's an annual? Quarterly. So Quarterly. it's it's 0.25% every quarter. Got it. Um, so it's a 1% annual and it's a quarterly deduction. So every three months, pulling out 25% of that 1% and then 20% of the profits, meaning anything above the 100,000 that's being earned, um, you get. Yes. Okay. And managing what we're calling the fund is you're choosing a selection of stocks or other types of investments. That's what mm -hmm. we're calling the fund. Yes. And if you're skilled and you're good at picking those out, then the money's going to go up. So that, that's the breakdown, guys. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's, yeah. That's that's a very simple, easy way of, of looking at it. But yeah, yeah, I, I try to cut it down to like the I, basics. I like yeah, I like that. <laughs> um, okay, so this was your first fund, but this was your only customer. It sounds like, and then when he got I, really sick, I had a couple more by then, but they weren't large. Okay. Like my okay. my not, biggest not learning, big enough to sustain it. Yeah, my biggest learning lessons was at at that time, like I was growing the fund size, but I wasn't getting more customers and. I don't know why I just never thought about it because I didn't really have a blueprint. Like no one actually showed me how to do all this stuff. I just went out and figured it out. And did it. Yeah. That's um, the fun and, time. But here's, here's the crazy thing. So yeah. in order to be a uh, investment advisor, you have to be licensed in the state that you reside essentially. Yeah. Um, it's more technical than that, but I didn't have the money to actually get bonded to get a license. So I contacted oh the regulatory body. I told my client, and I was like, look, I'm going to continue to invest. They might slap me on the wrist or something, but I ended mm -hmm. up making enough profit to go get bonded to then go get licensed to do what I was already doing. That's awesome. What does bonded mean? I haven't heard that term. So uh, reaching out to a insurance agency that then you have to post $10,000. Oh, yeah. bonded. Okay. Got it. Insured. That's what I would yes. call it. Yeah. Okay. So that was another side note. And I, I was speaking to the regulatory agency the entire time. Like they actually came and sat in my office and had a one-on-one -on -one with me. And I was like, look, I just don't have any money. Like I don't, I, I, I have an investment capital. I can go, I can go make it happen. By that time, like when he actually sat down with me, I was already up like 180% by then. So like, I don't nice. think they had any, any, anything to complain about because I was so upfront with both my client and the uh, agency. Right. Um, so yeah, I just, I like that transparency, but the problem is again, that a percentage of that money is yours, but it's locked up in the stocks. You don't get it. Well, <laughs> you only I, get it. When you... I was getting paid out quarterly basis. Okay. For that reason. Cause I had no capital to sustain anything. So like it was, uh, it would establish the quarterly high, uh, high watermark. Okay. So sense? one second. So the 20% profit, so let's say you're up 180%. We'll, we'll work with basic numbers. Yeah. Okay. So hundred K invested. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 1% of a hundred K is uh, about 10. Am I not? My brain isn't working. One is one. It's only one. Yeah. <laughs> so thousand dollars, you're getting $250 every three months. No. Two, 
twenty percent of profit. The profit was uh, um, calculated on a quarterly basis, and it took me seven months to triple his money. So my first year, I made forty eight thousand dollars off a hundred thousand dollar investment. Right, because he's paying you out on the current profit where it's at. Yes, and it establishes a high water mark, which then, in order to get paid out on the next period, it has to be above that high water mark. Explain what that means. So uh, say you increase your investment funds to 150000 You get paid out on, on the 20% of that in, uh, increase, right? That yeah. sets a, a bar at that 150 minus the amount you get paid out. And in order mm -hmm. to get paid out on anything else on the profit side, it, it has, has to, to go be, up again. Yes. Got it. It's a quarterly profit calculation. Yes. Love it. And what if it goes down? Too bad. Well, then you just kind of SOL'd like as an investment advisor, you have to continue to make alpha essentially, but that's my entire job. So right. if you I mess was, up, so like your business is done, it's not just that you don't earn money, like you're done. Yeah. yeah you're kind of, you're kind of SOL'd. Um, and is, what does SOL stand for? Get out of luck. <laughs> 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 Wasn't expecting that, were you? <laughs> is that an interesting terminology? Nope, that's that's an Alaskan term there. <laughs> that's an Alaskan terminology. That explains why I've never heard it. I thought it was some like weird industry term that I've just never been nope. exposed to. <laughs> that's all. That's really funny. Sorry. All right. No, you're good. You're and good. And then assets under management is going to include the profits. And when you're up to 150, you're one percent on the 152. Every quarter it recalculates. Mm, yeah. Love so, it. Yeah. Very cool. All right. So you get bonded, you get certified, this initial fund dies, and then you go and do it again? No. I am basically, I have no idea what I'm doing. I don't know what's going to happen next. Um, while, while my client was going through the pro uh, process of passing away, um, I went to the University of Oregon's business school for a, a I guess the guy was doing a, a book talk, basically. He published a book. His name's Ryan Blair. And I wasn't even going to go to that talk, but I ended up going there because my friend kind of pestered me into doing so. And I basically fell in love with his knowledge base. So I followed him. A couple of weeks later on uh, Facebook, of all things, like early in the morning, I was like, look, hey, I've been promoting your book. And he's like, okay, I owe you one. So I chose a random date out of thin air. I was like, I want a meeting on the 16th. I drove 12 hours for the 30-minute meeting and then volunteered in that meeting to uh, work for free for 90 days because I wanted him to be my mentor and I knew I had to bring value. I just didn't have any value in the industry that he operated in because I Which had no Which is what? Um, he, at the time, he was running a company called Visalis. It ultimately ended up doing like $700 million in revenue something like that. What um, was it? I'm saying industry operation. What do they do? Oh, uh, health and fitness, um, food stuff. Got it. Okay. Very cool. So you volunteered to work for free for 90 days. What were you going to live on? Where were you going to live? Uh, I had help at that point And I, I, okay. uh, I went to, I stayed in a bedroom. I, I have two cats and I still have them, but my, put my cats with a friend and I went and worked in LA in a bedroom that I, hated um yeah for nine months because i i wanted the connections i wanted the knowledge 
like I'm driven by, by learning. I love to learn. Um, so yeah. And that kind of, I got to the point where it's like, okay, I need to go do my own thing. So at that point I moved to orange County and went through three of the toughest learning lessons I've ever been through. Um, I, I partnered with, uh, with an old McKinsey partner. Um, and we went out and did consulting work for mom and pops. So we went out and sold the guy's business. Um, we were doing, uh, uh, what, do, what do I want to call it? We were doing business development and, um, for a glasses free 3d tablet, cell phone television company. And I went out and got us a 1.5 million LOI and talks with, uh, one of the major manufacturing companies of television. So Vizio, I'm out cool. of my What's NDAs, an LOI? a letter of intent. So cool. a 1.5 million letter of intent to invest in the business. Did it go through? No, but not because of the reason why people <laughs> would think. So we're progressing, we're progressing, we're progressing, and we're getting to the point where Vizio wanted us to put um, or, or to see how we can put our technology within their manufacturing line. Um, and I get a call a few days before Christmas in 2012 from my partner saying we have to stop. Was it violating someone else's patent or something? No. Okay. And in not so, or in more flowery terms, I was like, why? Right. And basically what he thought was happening was that the equity, um, majority equity shareholder and the inventor was having a, a, a breakdown and Ooh. thought that they were going to steal the technology. And I was of the position, I was like, okay, let them go for it. We have so much paperwork. We have so much like proof that we can come on the backside. They can take care of the hard parts, which is manufacturing, distribution, marketing, sales, Mm-hmm. And we'll take our pound of flesh. Like, I'm okay with that. That's like $50 million. Right. Like, that's okay. That's a decent sized thing. But anyhow, we had to stop. Like, he canceled our contract. So to this day, I own 5% of this tech company with amazing technology, even seven years later. That's doing jack. <laughs> yeah. Why? One second. The McKinsey partner pulled out because he was afraid no, no, it was no, going to no, go no, bust. No, not the McKinsey partner. Him and I were partners that were doing work for another company. The okay. majority equity holder and inventor of the technology company pulled out. Pulled yes. out. Yes. Oh, man. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for listening to part one of this episode. Stay tuned for part two going live Thursday. And of course, subscribe. You do not want to miss this. You've been listening to the Business Breakthrough Podcast with SD Rand. If you're looking for a breakthrough in your business, reach out at sdrand.com slash breakthrough to be a guest on the show. Everyone's got a business struggle. What's yours?